I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here anymore. I'm on a wave. I'm on a mountain. I'm on a roller coaster sailing across the sky. And the only trouble is in wondering why. Hi. Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and truth. Tonight, we have a prayer being given by my youngest daughter, Delaney McCraney. God, thank you for this ministry and for the way you work in it and for all the people that are here to help and um, watch the show. And uh, we ask that you speak through my dad tonight and uh, just work in our lives and help us love one another. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Del. Uh, a couple things. First, we have been talking about the end of material religion. It's a workbook that we've printed, 40-page workbook for your consideration. And uh, a couple things. There's a PDF or Word version. You can even view it on www.campuschurch.tv. So it's there. Seth has put it up there for you to uh, check it out and look at. Also, if you for some reason can't do that, you can email me. We can PDF it to you. But it's right there on the site at campuschurch.tv. And then if you're here locally in town and you want a, a physical copy, you can come in and get one of those uh, for free. All we ask is that if you take the PDF or you look at it online, that you, if you find it worthwhile, if, only if you find it worthwhile, to forward it to your friends and uh, other truth seekers and say, hey, check this out and ask them to do the same. Uh, also at HOTM.TV, we have books. We have the Word of God set to music. We have films about teen sex. Ooh, that got you all awake, didn't it? We have archived uh, videos of the show. We have verse-by-verse -verse teachings through uh, the New uh, Testament, uh, all at HOTM.TV. Those are our primary two websites, HOTM.TV, Heart of the Matter, and also CampusChurch.TV. Also at Campus at uh, HOTM, you can see uh, the new show, Breaking Bread with Warren Puckett. And now also I just learned that you, we have links and clips and even the show of Bishop Earl from Ex-Mormon Files uh, and the interview that we did together. All of that is available for you. Had a great time doing that. So more and more and more, we're adding more things for you to consider, and we hope that you, uh, that you will. Uh, also, finally, we've been producing Breaking Bread with Warren Puckett, and uh, his shows can be seen, uh, as I said, at hotm.tv, and we're working on getting a site off that that will be linked 
So uh, just keep looking for that. They're really good. We hope you check it out. Over the course of ministry, many LDS people have uh, sincerely wanted to know, how do LDS Mormon people differ materially than other Christians or other people who belong to the Orthodox Christian faith? Doctrines are one thing, but people will say, what's so, what's so different about us? You know, they have some uh, lifestyle standards that are sometimes different, but uh, Southern Baptists are uh, very clean in their living, and so it's not that. Well, I came upon an example on Sunday. My sister in the Lord, Tammy, she discovered this document in her deceased father's files. It's a letter dated April 13th, 1918, and it was sent out by the LDS office presiding bishopric. So the presiding bishopric, that's over the church. And let me sort of summarize what it says. The cover letter says, the records of this office disclose the fact that there are many faithful tithe payers in the church and some of the most faithful in the payment of their tithes are those who are only pay a very small amount. Some of our poor brother and sisters tithe their income more strictly than do the wealthy members. Our records show, however, that there are 52 persons in the church who last year paid $1,000 each or more. We find your name among that number. We are taking the liberty of enclosing the list of these 52 persons, beginning with the person who paid the largest amount down through to the 51st person who, had to, who paid 1000 at least to get on that list. And we hope this will be an occasion uh, and a great record for you and your family. So that's what it says. The revelatory parts about this paper are first, that such a letter would be sent out in the first place. I mean, I suppose there could be a Christian church where maybe the pastor would get some harebrained idea to send a letter out to put the names of the people who pay the most to the church through the year, but I doubt it. If they do, they're, they're, it's very strange. I don't think you'd find that in a traditional Christian church. And the second thing is that the list shows the largest donor at the top by name, the stake that the ward they're, they're in, and, uh, and the stake that they're in. Number one is listed all the way down in order of chronology of who paid the most and that they would send this out. The third thing that's interesting is that the number one giver in the church in 1918 was a man named Charles Nibley. Charles Nibley is the number one giver in the Mormon church in uh, 1918. Why is that important? Because the presiding bishop of the presiding bishopric offer and the signer of the letter is none other than Charles Nibley. <laughs> so he looked I guess, ostensibly, at the list of everybody, and he saw, well, I'm the, I gave the most of anybody in the church. Why don't we send a letter out <laughs> to everybody and let them see who's given what, so it could be for their family records. By the way, I happen to be number one. And I think that is so telling. This is, is a subtle, but it is one of the material differences between a sold-out follower of Christ Jesus and a member of the hierarchy of the LDS church, at least, at least back in then, is that 
they want to be seen of men. That the biggest difference, material difference between the mem actual member, faithful members of the LAS church and an actual faithful, devout Christian is that a faithful, devout Christian often will not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing versus in the LDS church often to be seen of man for what they do, what they pay, what they are is of primary importance. I just thought I'd point that out to you. And with that, let's get into the content of the show tonight, which I think is very important. I've said this before, but I'm convinced that uh, when a person is in Christian ministry and outreach, there's a constant choice before them. You can reaffirm the status quo. You can support the system and echo what has been deemed acceptable by all the other churches. Or you can try to improve upon things as a means to grow, which means change, which means loss, which means pain. Uh, in our outreach, the truths that we've tried to share um, have caused pain of losing personal and doctrinal prejudices. That's a painful experience. Losing traditional approaches and the comfort found in clinging to those approaches. That's a painful experience. The pains of seeing accepted models of operation kind of fade in light of what is more important. And it's been said that what people truly fear is not change. We always say we're afraid of change. It's not change that people truly fear loss. Uh, for example, I would suggest that most pastors in, in most churches are not necessarily afraid of change or changing. Um, if change would or could guarantee that a pastor would be more effective in his role and or would have increased financial support, if that was a guarantee, I think most pastors would not fear change at all because they would have the guarantee that this thing that we're doing will increase our message, will increase our st uh, stability. However, if there is an associated risk that uh, loss could come with a suggested change and growth can't be guaranteed and if a loss could be the end result of accepting this changing course, then there is almost always resistance to the change, not because of the fear of change, but due to the fear of loss as a result of the change. So for this reason, most people who are ensconced in organized religion whether they be Mormon or Catholic or Southern Baptist, whatever, even if they discover something horrible about their faith, some historical blight that shows how terrible the faith has been, they will remain in it be fearing the associated loss that could come by leaving that institution. The loss of all the years they've attended, the loss of all the money they have given and donated to the church, the loss of family and friends who are still part of that institution, and the loss of established beliefs and traditions, the loss of a place to belong with your fellow uh, saints, the loss of a system on how you know God, and on and on and on. So change frightens the heck out of most people because of the known losses and the unknown losses uh, that could occur. And when people become afraid of losses, they react in all sorts of ways, many of them very unpleasant and often very unchristian. So we see that it's very difficult to get people to change 
and those who are promoting change often become the target uh, for the wrath of those who resist it. In their book, Leadership on the Line, it's a landmark book by Harvard professor, professors Ron Heifetz and Martin Linsky. They write, quote, to lead is to live dangerously because when leadership counts, when you lead people through difficult change, you challenge what they hold dear, their daily habits, tools, loyalties, and ways of thinking, with nothing more to offer than perhaps possibility. Moreover, leadership often means exceeding the authority you are given to tackle the challenge at hand. People push back when you disturb the personal and institutional equilibrium they know. And people resist in all kinds of creative and unexpected ways that can get you taken out of the game, pushed aside, undermined, or eliminated." End quote. We're in the midst and have been in the midst of trying to deconstruct what has generally been accepted as objective Christian religion. And I take this task very seriously. It's, it's my life. And in this light, we have been openly, honestly, even aggressively pushing for people to consider abandoning established elements of organized objective material religion and to fully embrace a subjective religious relationship with God through Christ. It's one thing to suggest this and to offer what I think are some pretty good supports for the position, but it's an altogether different manner to actually put it into action. We can talk theory all day long, but when you put it into action, that's when you decide where you really sit. When you see it played out in front of you, that's when people in their hearts say, oh, I don't like this at all, or oh, I think this is good. I discovered how hard it is to, uh, to actually do this firsthand with our guest last week, Bob Griffin. And if you didn't watch the show, what Bob Griffin brought, he called himself a prophet and an apostle, a healer, a uh, uh, um, teacher, a pastor teacher, all these things. Whether he was aware of this or not, what he brought was an opportunity for everybody who views the show to test their allegiance or their resistance to the subjective approach. That's exactly why I had him on because it was gonna show exactly what we really thought in our heart. So Bob accomplished this for us by openly and honestly sharing the way he relates to God as a follower of Christ. And notice how I describe God as a follower of Christ, okay? I spent 90 minutes with him and I was convinced, still am, he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a follower of Jesus, he loves God, and from what Bob shared, he believes Jesus was a man born of a virgin, that he was the Son of God, God with us, that he believes he lived a perfect life in obedience to the Father and fulfilled the law. He believes he died on a cross, that he resurrected, that he ascended. All these things, these core beliefs, Bob agrees with. From what I can tell, those beliefs place Bob squarely in the realm of being Christian. There was nothing about those core beliefs that would remove him from that very stable place. But from what I heard and received from many of you as a result of some of these things, this was not enough. Bob, the fact that he believed in Jesus, Son of God, born of a virgin, resurrected, perfect life, died on a cross, ascended, that's not enough. No, no, no. 
not for some of you. Some of you who even approach Christianity differently love Bob. That was really revelatory of what your heart is. You said, hey, I don't necessarily see eye to eye, but hey, I accept him. But some of you, whoa, it appears you wanted Bob to conform to all of your external expectations of how a Christian is supposed to be, what a Christian is supposed to say, and what they should claim. And if they don't, well, they're going to get your wrath. Additionally, in areas where Bob moved away from your normalcy and your heterodoxy, uh, some of you got downright mean. I mean, accusatory, condemning, pointing a finger of what a bad guy Bob was. Uh, you became instantly Bob's judge and jury and executioner. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Because I think in doing so, uh, I want to make clear, I understand these reactions. Uh, I understand where they come from and why they exist and the thinking behind them because I have, for most of my life, made myself the judge, the jury, and the executioner of other people, especially those who differed with the way I see things. I made a good, solid seven-year run on TV of doing that. Um, and it's human nature for us to want to kill what we don't understand. That's just what we do. And to malign things that rub us the wrong way. And especially, we get pretty damn certain that our views are right and their views are just wrong. It happens to all of us. But we will never be in a position to actually embrace what we are calling subjective Christianity if we, are if we refuse to allow, listen, to allow all people access to our love and acceptance as they freely and, ex and, and openly experience their own relationship with God through Christ. If we hold back on them because they approach it in a different way and we won't love them, we won't embrace them, we say they are not this or they are not that, we become the judge, jury, and executioner of them, subjective uh, Christianity is a fail. One of the most difficult things about religious belief uh, is it tends to make expert zealous, or zealot experts of all of us. You know, it's the funny thing, and I think it's because um, we tend to automatically take such things to heart and reject everybody else's different views, and I don't think it's of God. Now, that's my opinion. You may. I'm convinced that God has purposely, after just everything we've gone through, arranged this faith called Christianity so that it would be an open range. And, and as such a place, a, a big place for people to come in on the plane and express themselves uh, in search of love and fellowship with other believers and not to have everything in common. A city slicker can walk out into the open plain, a country boy can, an illiterate can, an educated person can, and no matter what their proclivities are within the religion, uh, there's gotta be love and acceptance when people say, Jesus is my Lord. And all the rest of it has gotta go if we want subjective Christianity to have any legs. But the natural reaction is name calling, character assassination, questioning the honesty and integrity of those who differ with us. Again, I too have been critical of everything with which I did not agree. 
you've watched me assume the role of a zealous expert for years. Uh, but by the grace of God, I, I have seen the error of my ways. I do publicly repent um, and realize that if we don't collectively get off this course, then the faith we love and have in Christ will continue to lose ground in this world and the secular forces will come in and slowly erode the foundation to where Christianity becomes almost like an, a joke of infighting people. I'm, in talking with Bob, I made it very clear that I did not relate to his views, his ways, or his experiences. Uh, I probably never will. Um, but that's not how God made me, and that's not how God made Bob. But we must respectfully allow people to worship God or not and love them in whatever way they choose to express this. Think about it. Who am I to say to Bob and his views, they're inferior to mine? What, what gives me that right? Is it my education? Is it my, uh, my intellect? Is it my supposed uh, tied to the spiritual side of things, which are superior to Bob's? Uh, I, do I know that Bob is a charlatan? Do I believe he's a false prophet? Is he a schizophrenic, as some of you are saying that he is? Perhaps the better question is, does it even matter what I think about Bob? Can God use Bob is the question. Does God, Bob, uh, God use Bob? Uh, am I Bob's judge? So am I to insert myself between Bob and God? Do I stick myself in there and my religiosity and my views and say, look at you, Bob, no good. Stay away from Bob. Don't support Bob. Bob, not Christian. I am the intermediary. I have set myself. Because when we do that, all we're doing is what religions do with their congregates is what, what they step in, they say, listen, you, you're not smart enough, you don't understand this, you're not wise enough, you're not intelligent enough, you don't have the right education, you're not good enough, you're not spiritual enough, you're unholy. So we need to stick ourselves in between you and God so you can finally get to him. And Jesus came to get rid of that. And yet we will do it to individuals all day long. The smacks of religious attitudes that Jesus came to destroy. When we think about it, if we're going to take the Bible at face value and apply it to our day, just listen, if we take that Bible and apply it to our day, Bob claimed to experience many biblical things. You know, what are you going to say? Prophecy, deliverance, dreams, visions, tongues, healings. It's all in that book, you biblical literalists. So if you want to take that book and say, we follow it and there's no such things as men seeing visions and prophesying and healing, Bob is more in harmony with the book than you are. So how can we, how can we make that stance? So there's that. I guess I'm saying that it takes a great deal of hubris, pride, to believe that we can discern between someone who claims Jesus as being a con versus someone who claims Jesus as just being convicted or convinced or confident. So while we might not individually agree or relate to Bob and his ways, and admittedly, they are out there. They are out there, uh, in my estimation. Uh, but my ways are out there to the followers of Bob. I am really out there to them, and Bob is just mainstream lover of Jesus. It was interesting, after the show, I had a couple of people come up to me and they said, I always my whole life have related to Bob and his way. 
and what he's about. I don't understand you at all. That's what they said. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm the cat's meow, whatever that means, and I've got it all down, and Bob is the freak on the stage, when in reality, the people who follow Bob said, I'm the freak, and they were so nice, so soft-hearted, so sincere, and, and, and I believed every word they said. They weren't feigning. There was talk that Bob was mentally ill. Could be. I am. Said it before. Most of us are to some extent or another. Give me a break. But uh, again, does that mean God can't use the mentally ill, especially to reach people who have mental illness? Remember, Jesus' own family thought he was mentally ill. Remember? They thought he was mad. They said, do something to help this guy. He's nuts. Okay? So... Are you getting dragged out of your comfort zone by this talk? If so, good. Because as believers, we really don't think, I don't think, my opinion, we have a right to be in a comfort zone. I think, in my estimation, God wants us to grow in love. Growth means change. Change means loss. Loss means pain. Pain means discomfort. And when we get taken out of that spot, we all start whining don't like it, you can do something else. You have that right. Pursue God through other means. But uh, there are plenty of religious people who would love to nurse your prejudices. I don't want to be one of them. So then there's the railing accusations that came against Bob and me. Again, I'm calling the, the, it's the pot calling the kettle black because if it comes to pass to making railing accusations, I've been king. But trying to repent, why? It's not the way scripture describes the Christian. Uh, it wasn't of Jesus. It's not of angels to cast railing accusations. You know I'm going to pull from this scripture, but it says that Michael the archangel got in an argument with Satan over Moses' body in Jude. And it says that the, Michael the archangel did not cast a railing accusation against Satan. Against Satan! This is Michael the archangel ooh, 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 looking at Satan. <laughs> And he says, I'm not going to cast a railing accusation at you. The quote is, the Lord rebuke you. He put it in the Lord's hands to do the rebuking. That's insane that he wouldn't even open his mouth against Satan. And yet we do it every day against each other. If the faith is subjective and we are all responsible for how we've chosen to believe and see things then none of us have the right to rebuke anyone for their approach to the faith. We simply must trust that God will do the rebuking, and we step back and let him. So we're pushing for love. We can differ, but love and support is the modus operandi of subjective Christianity. If it can't be, the approach is going to fail. I get the impression that some viewers out there did not approve of Bob or my responses to him, apparently believing that they had the power to rebuke and to cast the railing accusations. Let me share it part of an email before we go to the phones I received from a viewer who watches named Mark. Uh, he provided an unsolicited review of the show. He started off and he suggested that Sean McCraney didn't show up for Heart of the Matter the other night. He wasn't there. There was an imposter sitting on the stage. And then he said, the next five minutes were taken up by Bob giving us a most bizarre background story that borderlines on the ridiculous. He tells us he had a dream when he was 12, but only remembered it 17 years later at the age of 29, during which he had 
admitted to being a drug addict, a drug dealer, a hardcore alcoholic, and had 42 convictions under his belt for which he served time in and out of jail. I remain confused as to why Mark would bring all this up about, the, uh, about Bob, but it seems like he wanted to diminish Bob's character by using words like bizarre, ridiculous, he a dreamer, drug addict, drug dealer, hardcore alcoholic, 42 convictions, in and out of jail. Let's take Bob's former life as a sinner and let's parade it before you so he has absolutely no credibility with you. Funny that that's, those are the type of people it seems like Jesus chose to be his disciples and who he hung out with. But nevertheless, today in our modern age, let's not look at the people who have criminal histories or might be insane or might be an alcoholic or have been a former drug dealer. Let's parade that around like the Pharisees did and say they don't have any right to be involved in ministry. It's pathetic. So Bob's admissions were admittedly unique, but honestly, all of our, all of our claims as believers are unique. I mean, we, they really are. We believe in a savior who was taken by Roman soldiers and killed and put on a cross, and we believe he rose from the dead. That's unique in and of itself. As cynical as I am, for example, I've said this before, I don't talk about it much. When I was five years old, I saw a dead lady. Now, I mean, I saw a ghost of a dead lady. She came out of the bathroom and looked at me, staring at me. I saw her with my own eyes. I am the most cynical person. I don't even want to believe that. I, I laugh at myself for even suggesting I saw it, but I will go to my grave knowing I saw what I saw. And there's a historical story behind the reason I saw what I saw. And I saw what I saw. <laughs> but nobody ever would believe that of their right mind in this day and age. And most Christians say I saw a demon. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, they have an answer for it. So are there charlatans and cons out there? Many. But the point I'm trying to make is, we aren't equipped. We are not equipped in most cases to rightfully receive or reject the claims of Bob or each other. We are to be like Michael the Archangel and to not just shut our mouth and to, and to love. Uh, Mark goes on and he says that things about cringeworthy and trippy and, and Bob's claims of prophecy and healing the sick and speaking in tongues. And at this point... Uh, he, he continues to talk. Let me ask you something. He criticizes me for not challenging Bob now. Where was Sean? He checked out. He sat there and smiled and nodded while Bob the psycho was saying he was a prophet. So let me ask you something. Let me invite you to stand in my shoes, okay? Understand, I do not agree with what most people talk to me about most things anyway. But that's not going to make me an ass and challenge them on every word that comes out of their mouth. If I'm, if I'm put in a corner, do you believe this? I'll say, no, I don't believe that. But you know, you do and have at it. But put yourself in my shoes. Someone comes up and says, I believe Jesus is coming back soon. Like in months. What would you say to them? Well, I just smile and nod. You know, I just do. Someone might say, my grandma was healed of cancer by a faith healer in Texas. How would you respond? I've decided to just smile and nod and say, that's wonderful. Does that make me not showing up for the show? Uh, they say, I had a vision of Jesus last night. He told me to run into the light. Or Satan entered my cousin and his eyes turned green. Or I believe God put every animal in the ark two by two on the entire earth and, and had them float around for a number of months. 
I just smile and nod. What else can we do? I'm a Christian and I embrace evolution, some say. I just smile and nod. What would you do? Can you see how these things can snowball and all it does is it serves darkness's purpose to keep us divided at each other's throats, picking and nitpicking and trying to establish doctrines that are disputable among ourselves so that we can always be at, each, at odds rather than being united in the cause of Christ. And that's the real unfortunate thing. Uh, after this, and we're almost done. Did you give me the 30-minute? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark goes on. He blasts Bob's story of putting mud in a kid's eyes who was partially blind. He says, no details about the actual visual impairment or degree of impairment in either eye was made. No reminder that the human vision changes when going from light to dark and light again when our eyes are the most sensitive for a temporary period of time. No update on whether the boy is still healed. Crucially, no challenge from Sean. No robust exchange of views. And this is what seems to uh, have disturbed Mark the most, is that I didn't rip Bob up and down over his claims. You know, those days are over. They're just over. If that's what you're looking for, and let me kind of explain it to you before we go to the phones. Um, we started off, and I was ripping the crud out of Mormonism. Those of you who know the show know this, and we had a vast audience that loved that. They love, the, they love the blood. They love the carnage. They love to see me get angry. They love to see me just rip into people. And in my flesh, I have that skill. And so then we said, okay, we're going to now focus that same kind of ripping on the churches. And of course, we know how that turned out. But there was a certain number of people who wanted to see that now. Get those Christians. Go get them. And I did that for a while. And then, and then the Holy Spirit said, you're going down the wrong path. You want to get away from this persona. This is your flesh that's operating, that's trying to keep people happy. Go with the spirit of things, and the spirit of things is love these people. Love everybody. Love. I'm not ecumenical. I know there's problems. We will discuss the problems. But listen, think about Bob. Think about the approach that we're trying to take. Think about subjective Christianity. Think about the heart of all this. And listen to the Beatitudes of Jesus when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. When I looked at, when I looked at Bob and listened to him, I saw poor in spirit. I saw a mourning man in many ways. Blessed, the next one, are the meek. The meek. Someone who smiles and nods. Get along. Try to love. Blessed are the meek. He didn't say the powerful, the argumentative, the acerbic. Blessed are they that thirst after righteousness, which is modeled after the life of Christ. What did he do? Blessed are the merciful, the merciful, not the impatient, not the unmerciful with people who differ, the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, not people who have conventions to attack and the people who have agendas to rip people apart. Blessed are the next one, the peacemakers. Peacemakers, not the divisionaries. The peacemakers who try to bring the sides together. Why would our ministry do anything else? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Who re Blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice to be exceedingly glad, and he wraps it up. Let me tell you. That's the way we should be doing it. And that's the only way uh, subjective Christianity is going to survive. 
We're not going to relate and agree with each other on all points. On most points. Probably on almost all points. But we can say, I individually receive Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe in God. Leave me alone. Love me. Receive me. Leave me alone. And let's move forward together to share this good news that he came and died for us instead of all the rest of the stuff which is just plain church. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413, We have two callers, Lisa in West Palm Beach, Florida, and Mark from Alberta, Canada. Uh, where is the archangel quote? Does I, did I have an assignment? Uh, and let's just take a look at this while we clear these calls. One, two, three, one, two, three. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved. What you don't see in that clip is big bottles of wine all at their feet, a bong hidden in the back. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. You guys get so upset. It was a joke. Let's go to Lisa in West Palm Beach, Florida. Lisa, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I found you on YouTube because I have a sister who's actually leaving the church. And she wants me and my mom to do the same. And uh, excuse my voice, I'm trying, I'm battling a cold, so I kind of sound like a man. Um, <laughs> um, so in the debates that I'm having with her, I just have a lot of questions. Yeah. And one of them that I had for you is I know that you said that you were a Mormon for 40 years. Yes. Or something, something like that. Yes. Um, in those 40 years, I'm sure you had a lot of spiritual experiences within the church. Sure. Um, faith building experiences, testimony building um, experiences. So now that you're not in the church, how do you explain away uh, those experiences that you had when you were a Mormon? I don't explain them away, Lisa. I think that God sends his reign uh, to fall on the just and the unjust. He loves all his creations. And I think he loves the Mormons as much as he loves the Christians and the Muslims and whoever else. 
And so just because I was caught up in a false religion does not mean God was not loving me and attentive to my needs. If I would pray, I know God would answer. And it, but he wasn't answering me because I was a Mormon. He was answering me because God answers his creations when they plead to him. So I, I, you can, that's the thing is when you're involved in something that is not necessarily true, it doesn't mean you can't have true experiences. And that's one of the deluding things about belonging to a, 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 an institution that is false, that does good things, or where you can have good experiences in them. Right, okay. Does that help? Um, yeah, it, it helped. It helped. Keep going. Um, okay. Um, and I've heard you answer this question on your show. It's just, I still don't have a clear answer. It's still confusing to me. Yeah. Um, when people have asked you what your, what the Godhead is, the Trinity, and I've heard you say that you believe that God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost are three separate beings, and at the same time they are also the same thing, and that's just, conf I just, I'm so confused by that answer, I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, let, let me, let me try to rephrase it a different way. Uh, we don't know. We, okay. we think we can understand, but we don't know. What we do know from Scripture is there is one God. We do know that. Okay. Um, how God has manifested himself in flesh and in spirit, and if there are beings or if it's one God manifesting or if there are three separate, all of that is up to conjecture and debate among very smart people and very dumb people, and it just creates this massive unknowability because in the end, what I used to teach on the show, what you saw, I no longer mm -hmm. even see it that way. So, uh, okay. yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think that it's a tough, tough question, but what I can say that you can do is you can go directly to that God and you can say, mm -hmm. reveal yourself to me, please. I wanna know you and give your heart to him directly without me or a bishop or a pastor, and you trust that he will answer you, and he will. And slowly or quickly, he will reveal more of himself to you than you thought possible. But now, one of the most, one of the most famous scriptures in Christianity is John 3.16. Yeah. And in that verse, isn't God clearly saying, I, God, sent my only begotten Son... So he's making a distinction in beings right there. When and, and, and the same thing when Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist. Um, he heard the voice in the heavens, which was God the Father. He was baptizing the Son, which was Jesus Christ. And then we believe that the Holy Ghost arose as a dove um, after his baptism. So isn't that God separating the beings right there for us? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, why there's such a huge, long-lasting debate and discussion on this topic, uh, Lisa, because certainly Jesus was in the flesh as a man. He died. God doesn't die. But he also said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. So we know that there's a relationship between Jesus being in flesh and talking to a Father who was spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit uh, was separately given on the day of Pentecost after Jesus ascended. 
So this, all of this plays in. Your questions are valid. That, that, that's a, it's a question that has gone on. My suggestion to you is not try to do calculus before you have done uh, addition and subtraction. Thank you. Right. Yes. <laughs> Because I'm still I'm still a Mormon, so I have a lot of it's math all right. to go. I guess it's all right. <laughs> um, do you think going touching on Joseph Smith for a minute? Do you think that he started off as a good man that definitely saw something? What it is that he saw in the sacred grove, I guess, is up for debate because I'm hearing that there's nine different versions of the first vision. Yeah. Um, but that he saw something that touched him and that he started out wanting to do good. But somewhere along the way, because man is so easily corruptible, they power, just everything just corrupts him so easily. Maybe he got lost. And, um, you know, what started off as good intentions, um, you know, kind of got messed up with his polygamy and, and other things that he was doing. Yeah, I'm of that opinion myself. I think that Joseph Smith started off uh, in, for the sake of his family and unity in his family to save his parents' marriage, to save the division in the family, to help fix his brother who died suddenly from being in hell uh, like a pastor told his mother he was. And I think that Joseph had good intentions. But like you said, uh, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions and, and our natural flesh jumps up and we... We are able to do all sorts of terrible things. And I think it went to his head. So I agree with that. That's the way I see it. I've read okay. quite a bit about him. And, uh, oh, man, I have so many questions one for thing, you. One thing, Lisa. Just, I don't know where to go next. One thing, just um, to let you know, uh, uh, Sandra Tanner of Utah Lighthouse Ministry disagrees with that. She, she believes that Joseph Smith was a con man, uh, incarnate, from the get-go and started off bad and continued on bad. So there are different right. views. Di yeah, okay. And when, and when me and my sister have these discussions and, and I say to her, where did he get all these Book of Mormon names? Like how, do you, how does someone just come up with this story? If he is the liar and the con man and the, uh, you know, you really have to be nuts. The way... When we talk about him, to just think that you're going around town and you're telling people, I saw plates and I saw, you know, I saw angels in the woods and, you know, angels are visiting me at night. I mean, people probably thought the guy was nuts. Actually, it was pretty and, common at that time. In that day and age, we can't understand it that well, but th at that time, that stuff was pretty common. They all had a very magical worldview that they shared with each other, and so... He, he, he was seen probably as being a little nuts by many of the Christians, but many of the people in that backwooded, burned-out district of New York, they didn't necessarily <laughs> differ too much with him. Listen, I promise you, Lisa, if you keep watching the shows, you'll get a lot of answers. Uh, there's 400 shows that you'll get a lot of answers to where he got the names and how the Book of Mormon was produced. Just keep watching those and challenge what's said. Do your homework. You'll see. I do. I do. I watch all your shows on YouTube, and um, I think what you're doing is awesome. Even though I'm a Mormon, I'm not. I've never really been a Molly Mormon, uh, <laughs> but um, I still think what you're doing is awesome. We know what so, that and means. Me and my sister really like watching your show. Thanks so much, my so, sister. Call anytime. 
Okay, thank you. Okay, talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to Mark in Alberta, Canada. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I'm just going to turn my radio, uh, computer off there for down. Uh, Sean, I have a question here. Uh, I talked to you before. I've been uh, almost two years now of the LDS Church. I, I got introduced in, in Edmonton here to a Pentecostal church, which mm -hmm. is quite so dr dramatically different. It is. But the Holy Spirit was so strong. Uh, can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, the Holy Spirit was so strong. I mean, at first I thought if I wanted to go to a rock concert, I'd buy a ticket. But, um, but you know, the, the praise and worship music was not just that, but the pastor there, uh, or the pastors, uh, ta uh, taught so well. I've stuck with it. Friends, uh, I went to other uh, churches. I went to a Baptist church a couple of Sundays ago, and I fell asleep. <laughs> Apparently, they have no upper arm movement. <laughs> so, um, but uh, um, anyhow, um, they sing traditional hymns just like in the LDS church, and some of them are almost similar in that uh, Baptist church, but um, the tunes are a little off from what I was used to. But um, everyone that I come to has no problem with tithing. They all at least agree on one thing. It's tithing, even the Mormons, right? At least the Mormons is forced tithing, but, but um, uh, you know, my pastor got up, and they're running a $100,000 uh, deficit, which is even worse than your U.S. dollars. <laughs> but we won't go there. Um, uh, anyhow, uh, he, uh, you know, and he, he's up there, you know, asking for everyone's help and, you know, and, and his wife's done well in real estate and they've done well. And, and it's kind of just like, just gets in my craw, <laughs> you know, I don't mind offers and give them an offering, but I don't, I don't, uh, when I do my donations, I do not give it under the tithing. I just, it just, something about it. I was reading John MacArthur doesn't agree with tithing. He yeah. did it uh, because it was a theocracy in the Old Testament time. And so, um, and so therefore it's all, it's all changed, you know, uh, in, in the New Testament. And I just wanted you to give me an enlightenment on that. Well, let me say this. Uh, I'm going to talk on two sides quickly about it. I'm going to talk individually and then I'll talk uh, institutionally. Individually, okay. there are people who like that word, and that word to them, it doesn't necessarily mean what it literally means, 10%. It could mean them giving $5 and they make 100 grand, they will call it a tithe. So for many individuals, that term is, is important to them, and sometimes we get donations, and I'll see people write on their check, even coming here where I rail against it institutionally, they'll still write tithe. They know they're driving me nuts but they still do it, and we still take the check, okay? But the other thing, institutionally, from a biblical perspective, the, the term uh, is a misappropriation at best. I think it's an abuse, and uh, institutionally, I think that it should be challenged, and I think that that will lend to people being free in Christ, more free in Christ, to let the Spirit guide them, and then follow Paul's advice that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 about, hey, you freely give, be a cheerful giver, not a cheerful tither. And, it, and, and there is such a study we could do on the whole concept. So there's the two points that I would say. 
institutionally, and maybe just to give the pastors the benefit of the doubt, I'm sure some of them believe that when they are saying tithes, they're just talking about donations too. I'm sure that happens as well. What is there two different, like, there's the uh, offering, like, they, they let you to go up and the Pentecostal church go up and, and, and give in the basket. But why is there um, uh, two, two different uh, uh, things on the uh, offer envelope? Like, you know, for, I know you need it for tax purposes, but isn't the whole thing? It's just taken from the Bible, and they're using Old Testament terms, and they use Malachi, and they use tithe, bring the tithes into the storehouse, and there may be meat in mine house, and all of that Old Testament stuff. But under, under the dispensation of grace, it's almost as if you're saying water and fire. That's how opposite those two are in my estimation. Well, yeah, and I, I guess because uh, um, it's 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 not the fact about that. But even one of the pastors got up and said, uh, uh, him and his wife uh, they tithe they, they tithe and give offerings. So ten percent tithing, ten percent offering. So so twenty percent. So that tells me right there they they do separate the two. Yeah, they do. They do. And I I just institutionally find it fairly. Uh, Repugnant. God so bless you. How should I handle that? Just keep on just putting whatever I want yes. in the offering. Yes. You 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 put in what the, how the Lord leads, and maybe the Lord will tell you to put fifty percent in, but maybe He'll tell you to put none in. You and the Lord decide that together. You're responsible for how you respond to the Spirit, and that's how it I believe is the New Testament way of seeing it. Yeah, because like He gets up periodically because they. And like he likes to give overseas to India and, and whatnot, and uh, to whatever they have apostles or wherever the, they call yeah traveling ones, and 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 the, I don't understand how a church can run a deficit. That means they have a line of credit. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, and and I uh, and I've gotten out of debt. I followed Dave Ramsey's program. Have you heard of Dave Ramsey? I've heard of Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I took his course, and uh, so I actually had a chat with my pastor about that, and I finally got him to listen to his radio program, and um, and he actually uh, tells people now, don't pay by credit card unless you have money in the bank. Well, that's an improvement. This is a never, yeah. it's a never-ending sto uh, story, my friend. Listen, we have other callers that really appreciate, okay. really appreciate it. Okay, God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Let's go to Dave in Riverton. Dave, Riverton, Utah. How you doing? Doing good. How are you? Doing well. Good, good. So, Sean, I love you, brother. I think, uh, I think we agree on most things. Uh, we may still yet agree on this. I'm not sure. I just want to run something past you and kind of get your thoughts, okay? Yeah. So, I think it's good, and it's very good to believe what you want and to Worship anyone you want, and 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 that's okay. The only issue I have, or the only concern I have, is is this you know a potential risk? Is this a danger? Is this a hazard? Is this something that can be you know used for evil at some point? When you when you listen to to Bob talk, I mean it was just the similarities to Joseph Smith and and Warren Jeffs just kind of screamed out at me, just like, oh, what, what's going on here? And I understand there's good gifts, and I understand they happen, and like you have had, you know, 
crazy spiritual experiences that I don't share with people because I don't want them to think I'm a whack job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I, just, I, I, I look at it as a hazard. And if you if you take if you take religion out of the equation and, and then have somebody you know demonstrating traits of or, or signs or symptoms of, of being a you know a thief or a, or a, or a pedophile or a rapist, murderer, or con man. It throws up flags. It's not. It's not pride that's standing in your way. It's hey, I've got a flag going up. Why is that going up? So no. You, gotta, you know I, what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. And, and the thing is, when flags come up, you should follow those. But here's the question: Who's in charge here? Are we in charge, or do we trust that God is in charge? Do we follow the Holy Spirit? I believe that seekers of truth will be able to discern by the Spirit what is of God and what is not, and they will vote or move with their feet. I think people that want to be deluded, who are not seekers of truth, will allow themselves to fall into a con. I don't think we need, because Dave, when we look at the opposite of what we have, we have everybody fooling everybody else through the auspices of being good and right and holy and having the authority to govern, when that's not a biblical uh, tenet in, in the sense of how it's used either. So I, I know there's a danger. Absolutely. There's always a danger. There's always that potential for loss. But is it worth it in order to free ourselves from the abuses that have accumulated over 2,000 years of Orthodox Christianity? I think so. I really yeah. do. No, and that's fine. <clears throat> I, I agree with what you're saying. I agree with the concept that it's such a delicate balance. It is. And you don't want to lose it. No. But at the same token, you can look at history and see lots of people have been taken advantage of, you know, made a plural life or had their life taken in the name of following someone that can see visions. And so what? I just, it's not that I don't trust Bob. It's just that, hey, there's a flag up. So it's like, yes, we should all believe as Test we Test all things. Test all things. To believe that we got to also, you know, don't just throw caution to the wind and say, God will say this if we choose wrong because we're trying to follow the truth because history shows us sometimes you're wrong. That's true. But if we, look, if we look quantitatively and we put all believers on a scale, the people who seem to have been taken most advantage of, if we look quantitatively at numbers, are the people who are sucked into the largest institutional groups, not the smallest. We have those exceptions of Hale Bop and, and Smith and, and Waco, Texas, sure. But how many were involved in all that? Not that many relative mm -hmm. to Islam, which was highly organized, Mormonism, uh, uh, parts, aspects and elements of Catholicism, sucked in by those institutions. I think more people have been lost by that mode than have been mowed by the freewheeling uh, uh, side of the spirit and letting individuals decide what is right for them and what is not. But it's a great comment, Dave. I really appreciate it. Nope, my pleasure. I think, I think we're on the same page, so life is good. Okay, God bless. I'll talk to you later. Okay, take care. Okay, bye. We are out of time, but i got to take this one last call from Matt in Ontario, Canada. Matt, we're out of time. Derek is giving me bad gestures from behind the camera, but go ahead. Matt? All of that for a dead phone? Matt? 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 Hey. There you are. Go for it. How's it going there, Sean? Doing well. How are you? 
Uh, not too bad, buddy. I, I'm actually just calling. Uh, it's the first time I've ever called here, but I've been watching you for the last couple of years anyway. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually just calling because, uh, like, over the last while, I've watched you obviously teaching this uh, subjective Christianity stuff. And uh, basically at the beginning of the show today, you were talking about Bob and the Bob situation uh, and then talking about how you accept his differences uh, as still being Christian. But I guess my, uh, my first question is, uh, how can you then reconcile, uh, like, like, how is he any different from Joseph Smith? He's not. And uh, secondarily to that, uh, how do you reconcile your views on, uh, on Calvinism being fraudulent and whatnot over the last little while, you know what I mean? I, I, I still believe institutionally in certain uh, uh, standards, but I am not going to ever part ways with a Calvinist. And I'm not going to okay. part ways with a Mormon individual. If they claim Christ as their Lord and Savior, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. No more. Okay. And that's how I would, how I would see that, uh, Matt. Uh, in terms of uh, Bob being equal to Joseph Smith, you know, that's... I'm not necessarily saying that he is equal to Joseph yeah. Smith. I'm just, some of the things that you, uh, you commented on tonight were uh, basically that, that you sort of accept his, his beliefs uh, in, in that he's a Christian, um, but I've, I've just, over the last like while, obviously, I, I've heard you uh, kind of bouncing around on some different things, and I realize that your show is, uh, is big on this, like, uh, you know, sort of you discovering uh, yeah. your own religious views, but uh, at the same time, it just, uh, it, it was hard for me to reconcile, I guess, uh, I guess your views without calling. So. Yeah, it's tough. I know, Matt. Uh, but I see Bob as abnormal as John MacArthur. Oh, okay. I see Bob okay. as abnormal as Billy Graham in ways. So I, That's and, what you're saying. Yeah. Everybody to me, we're all on the same continuum. And if people are searching and claiming Christ to get them to God, to me, I have to say, we'll discuss, but I am not going to attack you. And that's okay. all I'm trying to say. All right. I understand that, brother. Uh, God bless you, and uh, have yourself a really good night, man. Thanks to you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks to you. Uh, I, I pay for all these little faux pas I make, by the way, when I get home. They're made fun of. Uh, anyway, we love you guys. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an Existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out I'm going in This man's awake A storm's arising The dawn's awaiting till the 